Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew in chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And if you are physically able, I would ask, if you will, to stand in the honor and reverence as we read God's Word. And these are the words of our Lord in this great sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May God add his richest blessings today through the reading of his word. And you may be seated. 1776, after Congress had decided to draft a declaration that we call today the Declaration of Independence, explaining its decision, it appointed five men to take on that task. Those men were John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Roger Sherman, Robert Livingston, and of course Thomas Jefferson. Now when that committee met, they appointed Jefferson and Adams to draft the Declaration. Adams, however, insisted that Jefferson write the Declaration. There were some reasons that he bowed out of that and thought that Jefferson would do a much better job at writing the Declaration than himself. The committee presented the parchment uh, to the Second Continental Congress on July 4th, 1776, and almost all the delegates voted to adopt the Declaration. By this time, all the delegates had been authorized to vote for independence, except for one, and that was New York. So a few days later, after July the 4th, on actually July the 9th, the New York delegates then added their vote in favor of the Declaration. And independence was now a unanimous decision. The final parchment was prepared for signing. And it would begin with a ceremony on August the 2nd. And one by one, the congressional delegates signed this parchment. John Hancock, he was still the president of Congress at that time, and he was the first to sign the Declaration of Independence. Many of us have always heard that, that phrase, unless maybe you're younger and have not heard it yet. What do we say? We need your what? Your John Hancock. There's been a lot of wondering of why his signature was so large as the first signee on the Declaration of Independence, but it's now a famous symbol of the American Revolution. Why was the signature so large? Really don't know, but there are rumors spread that he commented, there, I guess King George will be able to read that. But those are just rumors. Uh, perhaps he wrote uh, large simply because that there was much space to write in. I don't know. Perhaps he knew that what he was signing was bold and treasonous. This was not a simple act. These men that signed this declaration knew what was at risk. And they knew what they were signing. And maybe by the largeness of his signature, that act was meant for the, to match the boldness within his heart. 
whatever the reason, even today, as I said a minute ago, we refer to people's signature as their John Hancock. Beloved, if this doesn't sound too corny, Jesus desires your John Hancock on this world. Your bold and large signature that will be remembered. And you will see that I've entitled the message today, Making Your Signature Large. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Mighty God, I ask today for your teaching from heaven to drop on us as the rain has earlier this past week. And I ask for your word to flood our minds and our souls. And through the word, Heavenly Father, and the regenerating work, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you wash away the impurities from our lives and create new and beautiful growth as the rain does from heaven to the grass and the herbs. And Lord, I do ask for your help today that I might proclaim the name of the Lord and to ascribe greatness to you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 5, we come to what is entitled the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has been called the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that still lives today, Jesus Christ. It is a message, I believe, of the Christian life. And not only is it to be preached from pulpits, but it is also to be preached from lives, from our lives, from the lives of Christians to a watching world, that they might also be drawn to the glory of God and His redemption. We read the phrase in the Scripture passage today, a city set on a hill. The phrase, a city set on a hill, has also been used and found its way into American culture. But it is a monumental testament of what Christ desires for the believer. What Christ desires for the Christian. In 1630, on March 21st, Puritan John Winthrop preached a message from this text as pilgrims were about to embark upon a journey to settle a new Puritan colony in Massachusetts. Winthrop admonished those early settlers that their new community would be as a city set upon a hill, watched by the world. Those words again have found use by presidents speaking to our nation and to the positive influence that we hopefully have had and must continue to have around the globe. However, first and foremost, I want to make this very clear today, the words that we read from God's holy word does not belong to a particular nation with physical borders. It belongs to a spiritual nation whose citizens have been made by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, those that these words come to, a city set on a hill, are not those covered with stars and stripes, but are those covered with the blood of Jesus Christ around the globe. The Christian is to be the said city set on a hill. 
Franklin D. Roosevelt said, No greater blessing could come to our land than a revival of the spirit of religion. I doubt if there is any problem in the world today, social, political, or economic, that would find happy solution if approached in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount. That is a great statement, a great quote. But beloved, the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount is the Holy Spirit. And Christ Jesus has poured out His Spirit in the hearts of people that have received His salvation by faith. We Christians are the lights of the world. We are the city set on the hill for the world to see. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is more than just a moralistic message for us to try to do well. And hopefully because we're better, it might make other people better. And I want to say to some degree, that can happen. But that doesn't save anyone. And it's not the reason that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. It was just to give us a moralistic, do-better talk. The Sermon on the Mount describes the life of the one that has had the darkness of their soul illuminated by God's grace. They have been set on a hill for all to see because they're different from the world. Because of their restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they're to see our faith, they're to see our hope, they're to see our peace, they're to see our love and how we are different from the world around us. And it points them to the grace of Almighty God. How humbling to think that we who have had the light of Christ's grace shine upon us are privileged then to be the light to a world in darkness. You are the light of the world, Christian. I'm the light of the world. And yet, as humbling as that is, as awe-inspiring truth that speaks to us today, I want to say that that's also terrifying and should be terrifying to each one of us that call ourselves Christians today. We are the light of the world. We are the visible city set on a hill revealing the almighty creator, God, redeemer, and Holy Spirit. Christ set up us up on the hill as if to say, Behold, my new creation. Now shine with my glory. Beloved, we cannot be hoarders of the light of God's grace. Jesus is not teaching that good works produce light, but that good light produces good work. It's much easier to work in the daytime, isn't it? Or when you have lights on illuminating the room that you are in. And so it is with our Christian life. We don't work enough to produce good light because of the good light that is shown in our hearts. We produce good works that draw people to the source of true light. And therefore, those that have been covered with the blood of Jesus, who have had their souls illuminated by the grace of Almighty God through Jesus Christ and the cross, we are the city set on the hill this spiritual nation, a citizen of a heavenly city in the kingdom of God where Jesus will rule and reign. And therefore, while we spend our time upon this earth as pilgrims, as travelers, we are to make 
the signature of our changed life large for others to see. Now, let's talk about what the city looks like. What does this city look like? And when you hear me uh, make a bold charge is that we are to make the signature of our life large and bold for others to see. What does that look like? Does that mean I have to be the president of this club or that club? Or I have to have a hit record or I have to make it to, to be a professional athlete or whatever. No. No. You see, the way we believe in making a large signature on life is different than the way that the world sees it. And Jesus gives us a picture of what the city set on the hill looks like, what the Christian life looks like, the life that impacts others. You see, actually, this life, though being lived very bold in the Spirit of Almighty God, can appear to us very quiet at times. What does the city look like? Well, Jesus reveals that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Would you please give me your attention as we look at what the city looks like, what a bold, large signature in the Christian life looks like, what the light looks like that illuminates the dark world. In one, as we read about uh, anger, we realize that Christians recognize sin. And we believe that sin is not only an action, but it's also a matter of the heart and mind, as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount through verses 30. In verse 31, we see where Christians hold a high view of marriage, believing it to be a picture of Christ and His church, the bride of Christ. This is the Christian life. This is the bold signature of our life. In dealing with oaths, Christians' words and promises to God and each other are important and are to be used very carefully. Christians do not participate in retaliation as the world does. But we forgive. Even at times turning the other cheek, trusting God to fight our battles. That is much different than the world. You see, this large signature is proof that Christians believe that not only we are to love our neighbors that do us good, but we are called and empowered by the Spirit of God to love our enemies. And it's just as important and commanded by our Lord. We do not wish them harm, and we do not do them harm, even our enemies who have sinned against us. We pray for them, and we do not speak evil of them. This life shows us that Christians believe that when giving to the needy, we do not seek our own glory, but we seek God's glory. We do not do things to put on a show, to appear to be more spiritual and religious than we truly are. And we also believe in prayer and other spiritual disciplines as identified in this message. And we are not, they are not to be done in show as well, but to seek God's greater glory that we might know Him more intimately. We do not serve earthly treasures as shown in the Sermon on the Mount, but we seek to lay up treasures in heaven where is our true and glorious reward. 
As the Lord spoke on being anxious, we do not trust, or we trust God for our needs, and, and we're not crushed with anxiety over worldly issues. Certainly we have concerns, but we're not crushed by those things because our hope is in Jesus Christ. We do not believe in haphazardly judging others and the speck in their eyes when the log in our eyes are very large and easy to see. This is a bold signature. See, we ask our Heavenly Father in Christ for our needs, believing that He gives good gifts to His children. We believe in treating others the way that we would want to be treated. So that's more than just a golden rule. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And it is to be the message from our lives as well. And with the Spirit's help, we produce good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5.22 of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We believe that we are known by Christ, by a personal relationship with Him, by grace and through faith, and not by mighty acts performed by us. It was in this sermon in chapter 7 and verse 21 where Jesus Christ told about those who did mighty acts that were visible to many and impressed many, but when it came to the time when they stood before the judge themselves, He says, I never knew you. We build our lives on the rock as Jesus gave that great illustration. And we believe that that rock is Jesus Christ and His Word and not the shifting sand of the world and its philosophies. And therefore, we endure the storms of life not by our strength, but by the strength of the rock in which we have built our house upon by faith. And as the sermon concluded, it said, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, as Christians, we believe that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and we submit our lives to Him because He is Lord. He is Lord of all, and He is Lord of our lives, and we are His servants. You see, that's much, a much different idea of a signature, a bold, large signature, than the world would teach us to have. This is a humble life. This is a life changed by the grace of God. And this is a life standing before you today that looks upon this sermon and says, I can't live that without God's help. And I don't live it like I'm supposed to. And so may God grant us mercy today to live this life. And for you, maybe here today, you cannot live this life without being changed by Jesus Christ through faith in Him, being saved. Christian, you can't live this life in your own strength and in your own will. But you also, we also must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and seek Him and trust Him to fight our battles. And as we worship Him and serve Him and live our life for Him, He works this mighty 
sermon through our lives. You know, I, I want to say to you, the lives that have touched me the most in this world, the world other than you get outside of a few counties doesn't even know them. And when we think about that, isn't that true with most of us? The lives that have touched our hearts the most, most of the world doesn't know. They didn't, necess- they didn't write books uh, that were bestsellers, but they loved us. And they were humble people. They were God-fearing people. And they taught us how to pray, and they read to us the golden rule, and we watched them forgive and love their enemies and pray for them. Those are the lives that are the most boldly written on my heart today. Many would be considered simple country folk, not mighty theologians, but mighty in the affections of my heart by how God used them to be burned into my spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, we must not cover up the light of grace that has touched our hearts and that has brightened our souls. This is making your signature large. And it's probably a much different sermon than you would have thought I would have preached when we think of the act of John Hancock making his signature large with much boldness to match the act that those men had assembled to sign that today. Beloved, as I look at this wonderful sermon and have time and time again this week, first, I realize the awesome task that we have been given. But our religion is more than a religion. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do more than come to church. We are to live out this message wherever we are. We are the city set upon the hill. We are the light of the world. And what an honor that God has given us His grace through Jesus Christ to even be labeled as a child of God. But again, as I spoke at the beginning of this message, how terrifying, how awe-inspiring it is to say again, we are the light. It is not the politician that spreads Christianity throughout the world. It is the Christian empowered by the Holy Spirit living this type of life that others see. When they see you forgive your enemies, you see, that's not what the world does. So it impacts their life. When they hear you pray for those instead of judging others, they see a difference. They see the city set on a hill by Christ where He says, Behold, my new creation. Watch Him glow. Watch her spread her light the light that I have given him or her. And I see how I have failed in this, and yet no one can live the fullness of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why we all need the grace of Jesus Christ to even be set on the hill. If you could live out this sermon perfectly, you wouldn't need Jesus. I wouldn't need Him. And if only a handful of people throughout this world 
could have lived out this sermon, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. We would have measured our lives to those people. But no one has lived out this sermon totally except for one person, and He is the God-man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we measure ourselves to this, and we say with all honesty, or we ask ourselves with all honesty, am I making my signature large and bold according to the Word of the Lord? And then we look to the perfect one, Jesus Christ, that not only spoke it, but lived it out. And we say, God, forgive me of my sins. I have not been the city shining as bright and beautifully as you have set me to be. I have not shown my light like I should, Lord Jesus, as you have illuminated the dark corners of my spirit. Sometimes, Lord, I blend too much in with the darkness and maybe my eyes have gotten used to the dark a little too much. And I have forgotten the grace that You have shown upon my life and my heart, Lord Jesus, and I have forgotten to show that same grace to others. I must admit, Lord, I don't treat others like really I expect to be treated. And so God forgive me. God have mercy on us. And may God strengthen us to live this life. And may our signature be large when we live this life by the power of Jesus Christ in our hearts that others will see the city set on the hill, that they'll be drawn to it, that they'll see our good works, and that they too will come to be at peace with their Creator and their Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And then, what happens, my beloved, is called a revival. It's called awakening. And it does impact our communities, and it does impact our homes, and it does impact our nations. It does impact our world. It does impact every race of every tribe, of every tongue around the globe when the city sets on the hill and shines brightly. God forgive us, for we have sinned against you. God, give us strength and grant us your grace to live out this life with the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, we shine because we have been given light from heaven and we are seen because we shine. We shine because we have been given light from heaven and we are seen because we shine. Today I ask you, beloved Christian, in light of the sermon that Jesus preached, are you a city set on a hill? Are you letting your light shine in the darkness of the world? Are you being the light that Jesus has saved you and called you to be? If not, there is grace for you. And you can repent of your sin today in the same way of when you ask Jesus Christ into your heart. And ask Him to forgive you. And ask Him to strengthen you to live out this sermon even more greatly. Ask Him today to help you 
be the city that he has set on the hill for others to see. That others would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There is grace for you today, just as when you received him. But you must be honest with yourself. And not measure yourselves by me or by Ronnie Lakes or uh, Linda Shad or anybody, but you measure yourself to Jesus Christ and this message. You see, this message is very evangelistic, is it not? It shows us our weakness and it points us to Jesus Christ. And you need to rededicate your life today. The altar will be opened for you. That you can come and make a bold statement of faith like Hancock's bold signature. And say, I rededicate my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been too silent about what Christ has done for me. And I need to follow through with Christian baptism. And I want to do that today. Or today is the day that I will join the local church. Being bold that others see in your faith. Let it speak to others around you and even creep out these doors into the community that surrounds us. Maybe today you've not received the light that has shone upon the face of your soul time and time again. And you have rejected the plea of Jesus Christ to come to Him and humble yourselves. Repent of your sins and allow Him to be your Lord. Today, would you make a bold statement? Would you come forward as we sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment? Would you make your signature large? Would you declare your independence from the world and declare your dependence upon Jesus Christ for your salvation today? As we sing in just a moment, living for Jesus, would we all here today be consecrated to live for Jesus a life that is true? Would you call out for Jesus Christ to work mightily in your life? To help you live out this sermon. To save your soul. To give you strength in all areas of your life that others will look at your life beginning at home and shooting out into the world. That they'll see that God has changed your life through Jesus Christ. And they will, too, be drawn to Him. We hope you've enjoyed our service and invite you to return to our website and listen to the numerous other podcasts we have posted. If you would like to join us in person, service times and location are listed on our homepage. Thank you for listening.